Our scripture reading, and we'll be reading from Psalm 96, and then a verse from Ephesians 2.10. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. That's God's word. Um, As you know, or many of you know, that uh, Pastor Brown has been on sabbatical this summer for the past few weeks, and we've been blessed to have a number of visiting pastors. And this week, we want to welcome Ernesto Fernandez and his wife and family. I think they're in the back. Is that right? So we welcome them. Um, please make sure you uh, say hello and greet them at the end. But Ernesto is a, is a pastor in our presbytery and most recently has been ministering in kind of the South Charlotte, North um, Union County area. And so we are very pleased to have Ernesto bring God's word to us today. Ernesto. Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to be here today. I think I was here about 10 years ago, about this same time in the month. And... Uh, It's a privilege and an honor that Howard has asked me back, and I'm looking forward to being with you for this morning. As we just read in the scriptures, uh, this psalm, it's a psalm that appeals to me a lot because uh, Spurgeon called it a missionary song, a psalm that declares that God is to be praised by all peoples and all nations. For the last uh, 10 years, I've been working among the nations that have come to the U.S., And uh, it's been my privilege to try to introduce our God, our God that reigns to all these peoples, no matter where they come from. When I look at this psalm, I am uh, reminded of what God has been doing. Uh, Just the other day, uh, we were down uh, in Georgia at Lake Hartwell with my family, and we had the neat opportunity to uh, do the 4th of July celebration on the water. That was a new thing for me. I've seen the fireworks many times, but this time there was fireworks on the lake, and we got in our kayaks and our boats, motored around or paddled around to the special place, and just took our spot. And there saw this beautiful display of fireworks celebrating our nation. And uh, I am grateful to God for this nation. I am grateful to God because this nation allowed my family to come many years ago and have freedom and have opportunity. We were leaving a place that had a very little opportunity. 
uh, very little freedom in religion or in speech. And we came to this nation and it opened doors for us. Uh, Little did we know that the main door it opened up for us was the door to the kingdom of God. We wanted opportunity. We wanted freedom. We wanted to be able to grow and to learn and to, to be ourselves. And through God's grace, we found Christ. We found him as our savior. My mom was one of the ones, the first ones to come to know the Lord. And uh, throughout her conversion, little by little, everyone in my family became a believer. This nation has given us a lot of the opportunities that we sought, and we are grateful to it. Uh, in this 4th of July celebration that we just went through, oops, sorry. <laughs> we always wait for uh, the fireworks, always have that grand finale, right? At the very end, you see all those huge explosions and all that comes to an end. Well, I think this psalm is kind of like a grand finale. Uh, It's not the last psalm, but it talks about something that's going to happen at the end of times. It talks about what God is preparing to do in his grand finale. And it's talking about the splendor and the joy that it's going to be when God culminates all of creation. The psalm talks about this time where God is going to show off and display all his wonders and majesty. And it talks about how the creation is going to react to that. And I find it very beautiful in the words that it says in the Psalms about that we are to sing. I think this Psalm is going to teach us several important things. It's going to teach us what worship worship is. It teaches us with very direct words and repetitions several of the things that we need to do in order to worship. It starts out very simply, sing to the Lord, sing a new song, sing to the Lord. And it says it three times, sing to the Lord. Uh, We cannot worship without singing. Without singing, there is no worship of God. And it's something that we were created to do. It's something in which we will uh, find our joy as we sing to the Lord. I think it's beautiful that this psalm is a psalm that teaches us that we ought to sing to the Lord and we ought to sing to him. But it also teaches us something, not only about worship, but how we're to live our lives. And it says that we ought to ascribe to the Lord worth. We ought to make his name valuable. We acknowledge who he is and what he's done. In that way, we ascribe to the Lord. And again, three times the psalm says, ascribe to the Lord And I think the repetition is there to remind us that there is a proper way to worship God, a proper way to approach him. I love the way that the psalm reads, and it's talking about a triumphal and celebratory way. We believe this psalm is one of David's psalms that probably has some connection to the time where the ark was being brought to the tent that David had prepared. And after all the time that they had been without the ark of the covenant, the rejoicing that he did in knowing that the ark was back, that there's a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, bringing the presence of God back into the center of that city. The city that once was a citadel of their enemies. And God is now triumphantly saying, I am placing myself right in the middle of where my enemy's camp used to be. God is a God that does awesome things. He defeats the powerful enemy and sets us free. 
And here we see this triumphal song where I think David could barely contain himself, telling all of creation to sing. And we see the Holy Spirit working through him, telling us that this is a triumphal time. He makes it very clear that we are to sing and we are to ascribe glory, but it's not just within ourselves as a church, within the believers, because this psalm kind of amplifies what we're to do, and it says it very clearly. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, among the nations. This was written by a Jewish man who was the king of the Jews to a Jewish people in a Jewish time. And yet the Holy Spirit inspired him to say, declare his glory among the heathen nations, other peoples that were not believers in that God, the true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And yet this psalm says, God is so great that he needs to be praised and sung to by all the peoples of all the world. So the nations are included here, and we are to not only sing, but declare his glory. And I think this is like the second part of what the psalm teaches us, that we're not only to sing to God, to praise him, to worship him, but part of that worship is to be declaring to the nations who he is declaring to all the peoples of all families who this God is. I see here this beautiful way of describing it. Ascribe the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor and holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. I think the writer of the psalm realizes that God is so great and so greatly to be praised that it takes all creation, all created order, and all the peoples to come in and join this worship. We sing, and we're told to sing three times. We're told three times to ascribe worth, and I think that's an important part. Whatever we value, we ascribe worth to. We highly value certain things in our life, and we set them aside or take care of them. And we have to be careful what we worship through our care. It is very curious that this immediately contrasts the nations, heathen gods, and the true God. And I think it's important for us to, in a place where we're reaching out to other people and other nations, and to try to be inclusive and loving to everyone not to make the mistake of thinking that everything is equal and that every God is the same. We want to be diverse in our outreach and reach to other peoples, but we do have to do it with truth. We do have to declare there are false gods and one true God. And here we see a comparison where God very clearly through the Holy Spirit and the psalmist tells us that there are false gods there are idols in this world that should not be worshipped and should not be ascribed worth to. We see that in these words where he comes in and talks about that the nations have their gods. It is interesting here that there's a little play on words. 
And we see that God comes in and allows us to hear these words. He says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. He distinguishes why God should be worshipped. God should be worshipped because he is the creator. He is real. But the other gods, the other Elohims that pretend to be gods, he calls Elohim, non-gods. God described himself in Exodus as the great I am, the one who has substance in himself, who exists by himself, not depending on anything else. And he mocks these false gods by saying they want to be godlings, they want to be like God, but they're not. They have no substance in themselves. They're vain. It's just vanities. And so he calls them Elohim, non-beings, non-entities. And he says that's what these idols are. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians that these idols are nothing in the world. And he describes the true God and the false gods. And we have to be careful because this world abounds in idols and false gods. Anything that is not God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can become a false god in our lives, this false idol. I know for many years when I was growing up, I was looking for my first car to buy. And my dad said, uh, I want you to buy this car. And I didn't know anything about cars at that time. But he showed me this classic Mustang, a 1965 Mustang. I don't know if any of you guys are car buffs. But for the next 19 years, I became crazy about cars. And I hate to say it, but that 1965 Mustang became my idol. I thought about it all day long. I spent almost all my money on it, restoring it. I did all these kind of crazy things to make that car look like a brand new car. A car is a good thing, don't get me wrong. And it's a beautiful thing. But it became an obsession, and it became an idol. And my wife was like, get rid of that money pit. (laughs) You spend all your money fixing it. You spend all your time fixing it. But to me, it represented something different because I had elevated it to a place it should have never held. And it became an idol in my life. I remember the day that I sold it. I thought, I'm getting rid of all of it. Took all the magazine, all the spare parts, everything, and put it in the trunk and say, sold it to somebody and said, enjoy it. I hope it doesn't become an idol in your life. But something as simple as a vehicle can become an idol in our lives. And it shouldn't be that way. Only one true God exists, and he is the, the source of all life, the source of all being, the one who saves us and upholds us in being and existence, and all other gods are false. So in this psalm, we see that the psalmist is telling us to ascribe to God the worth that belongs to him. He is worthy. I am reminded of a famous artist who has many works of art, And they can be displayed in different uh, museums. And every one of them is this work of art that's priceless. And in one museum, there might be a collection of some of his works. And in another museum, 
other of his works. But no matter how priceless and how valuable each one of those works are, when you think about it, it's the artist that holds the most worth. The one who created all the beauty and sculptures and painting, he is the one that is most worthy. Likewise, we have a great artist in God who has created all other things. In whatever value we ascribe to things, shouldn't we ascribe the highest value to the one who made all other things? So we see that the psalmist is asking us to be careful, to know what a true God is and what a false God is, and to show him all the worth that, he, that belongs to him. So we are to sing to the Lord, to praise him, to declare his glory among the nations, and to also say among the nations, according to verse 10, the Lord reigns. We are to declare God's sovereignty and control over all things, over transitions, over sad events, over the good events and the good things that happen to us. And to tell the people in this world, God reigns, God is in control, is a weird thing to say these days, where we think that there's chaos in the universe and things happen by chance. To think of a God that loves us so much that he controls all these aspects for our good and for his glory. He says in verse 10, Say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Here he transitions into a very interesting idea. The Lord reigns. He has established the world. The world cannot be shaken by anything other than God himself. And because of that, he will come and be a judge. He will come and judge with equity. Now, I don't know what you think about when I read these. I thought of a, here comes a judge. And he's coming to judge. But it's a judge that will judge with equity. And what good news that is. Not like a lot of the judges that we've heard about and a lot of the judges that we know and are going on judging right now where each judgment can be something that's good or something that's not good. The judges today are partial to how much money a defendant has, what skin color he has, what nationality he has, what political party a person belongs to. And even though judges are supposed to be impartial, they're never free from that, except for this judge. He comes to judge with equity. He will not say, you are a privileged class, or you're a privileged nation, or you're a privileged race or tribe. He will judge with equity. What a great idea. The way it should be. So we see this judgment coming, but we should not fear that judgment. The world may fear, but we are to worship God because of that judgment that's coming. When we see that judge coming, who's going to judge with equity, the response is that the heavens are going to be glad and that the earth is going to rejoice and the seas roar and all that fills them. Let the field exalt and everything in it. And we see here a picture that when God comes back as the judge in this finale, this last part of this uh, 
uh, of his history, we see that nature itself breaks out in song. Nature can't help but to align itself to the God that created it and become part of the chorus of singing and praising God. And it's a beautiful thing that we are reminded that Paul in Romans 8 reminds us that all of nature is under captivity right now. It's being held down. And it's waiting for the revelations of the children of God to be manifest and to be liberated so that they can once again do all that it's supposed to do and rejoice and sing and worship God. Here we see that nature sings. It all comes together and becomes this crescendo of ever more exalting of God. The trees will worship God. Nature will worship God. All the parts of his creation will worship, along with heaven, along with all the things of this earth. Now, he's coming to judge in righteousness. And I am glad that the last line of this psalm says that he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. And I think it is important to know that our judge is a merciful judge. He sent Christ for us so that the judgment that was due to us went to him. And all the rewards and all the good things that Christ earned become ours and an inheritance that he shares with us. It might seem a little strange that I put this verse from Ephesians 2 as part of the psalm, but I thought it was fitting because I think the last couple years God's been impressing on me this idea of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. I know that the Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are some of our favorite verses that we know by heart and we preach a gospel of grace not by works, not by doing good things to earn our way to heaven. But I think oftentimes we forget this very next verse about that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I think what I see in this verse is something that kind of goes along with what this psalm is saying. All creation will eventually align itself to worship God, and to be aligned with his majesty and glory and to bring forth in its own special way glory to God. But so should we. And I think the way that we do that is to accomplish what God created us to do, our good works. As Reformed people, we often talk about predestination. I think that this verse tells us that we're predestined for good works and the good works are predestined for us. God made us to do the good works that he had been preparing. David prepared the tent to bring the ark in. God is preparing us for the good works that he prepared for us. And there's a calling for everybody. Like Randy just said, each of us have a special calling. Each of us have a special place in that created order to worship God and to fulfill our calling. I think that these ver- this verse from Ephesians speaks a lot to me. It says that we are created as God's workmanship in Christ. Over the last couple months, I've taken a part-time job working with a cabinet maker and a furniture maker, and I've learned a lot about woodworking. 
I learned a lot about not cutting my fingers on, with, with these sharp saws and things. And it's amazing to me how you can take a plain piece of wood and with a matter of a few days shape it and color it and sand it and make it into a work of art. And the things that we make have function and they have beauty. And both go together. We don't make anything that doesn't serve a purpose. And we don't make anything that doesn't reflect some kind of beauty and elegance. And I have been amazed at how long it takes to get a piece of rough wood and to make it into a fine piece of polished furniture. It takes a lot of work. The first few days that I worked in this cabinet shop, I worked on little legs for a cabinet. And there was two cabinets, eight legs all together, and it took me three days to cut and shape and sand these little legs. They were only about this big each. But it took a lot of work, a lot of sanding and polishing and cutting and repolishing. And I learned that sometimes you have to polish and sand and spray some paint, and then more defects are shown. And then you have to re-sand and re-spray And little by little, you diminish the amount of defects and you make the piece of furniture more glorious. Well, I think God is doing something like that in our lives. And being in that workshop has helped me realize that our sanctification is important to God. He came to justify us, to sanctify us, and to glorify us. But we are being sanctified in the good works that he created us to do. Our sanctification doesn't happen magically by ourselves in some space put apart. I think most of our sanctification happens while we work the good works that God created us to do. That's hard. Because the good works that God created us to do kind of rub us the wrong way sometimes, don't they? You start to do something good for someone And you get slapped in the face with something you didn't expect. But somehow that rubs something off of us. And if we let it do its work, it can polish and sand us into a more perfect being. I believe God has given us these good works because it's for his glory and our good. I think these good works may be difficult at times. But that's how God sanctifies us. A pastor friend of mine told me a while ago that one of God's greatest instruments in sanctification is marriage. And I know because my poor wife has suffered a lot with me. She has uh, been a great partner to me and shown me a lot of good things and has stood beside me through thick and thin and has ministered to the people that I was ministering to. And sanctifying, sometimes it's difficult. We literally rub each other the wrong way. But God, in his mercy, allows us to see his working in that. And he is a good God who blesses us through all those kinds of things. And we see that he uses hard times and good times to perfect us into an instrument As I work in the shop with different kind of instruments, I see that there's a purpose for each part and there's a purpose for each instrument. And when you use it properly, you get this beautiful result that functions. It works in its beauty. 
It brings glory and a purpose. And I think that's what we can find, what God has for us. We are his workmanship. The word workmanship there is a word that was also used of poetry. But it's not just poetry for poetry's sake. It's poetry with a purpose. It's a work of art that has a purpose and it has beauty. I like that next phrase that says we are created in Christ Jesus. And I think to that, to me, it's important because lots of times when I go to the store to look for product, I don't know about you, but I look at the label where it's made. Is it made in the USA? Is it made in England, made in China? And that's important to me. I want to know, sometimes you can tell a lot about the quality from where something is made. And this tells us that we are created in Christ Jesus. As a new creation, when God saves you, it's almost like there's a tag in the back of your neck that says, made in Christ. Made in Christ. He doesn't make junk. He doesn't make bad things. He makes things that he is perfecting. And I think it's a beautiful thing to be thought of as being made in Christ for good works. God has predestined us and prepared him beforehand. And I think oftentimes we think the ministries that show up in our path, the people that show up in our path are interruptions, are things that we didn't plan. So there, there, we're like, well, where did that come from? But it says that God prepared these things beforehand. He not only predestined us to glory, he predestined the means to glory. He predestined those things to come our way so that we would be polished and be perfected. Now, I want to end with a couple of ideas, and I'm thankful that my wife and I had time to talk. And she expressed a, a new idea that she's been wrestling with God about that I think is a very beautiful thing. This psalm tells us to bring glory to God, to praise him. And she was thinking about in her own devotional life the difference between thanksgiving and praising. And that thanksgiving is a great thing to do. We teach our children to be grateful, to say thank you to people when people offer them things, and to have gratitude in their hearts. Thanksgiving is a good way to start, to be thankful to God, to praise him. But I think there's a further step, and this is what we were talking about. Thanksgiving always has to do with an object. We are thankful for something. But praise is a little bit more than that. Praise has to do with the person who gives the object. And we notice something that we do in our daily lives. Sometimes at dinner, after my wife has cooked a good dinner for us, we say, hey, thank you for the good dinner. Thank you for this food. And we stop right there. But sometimes, occasionally, we go to the next step. And I think our son, Christian, uh, one time says, thanks, Mommy, for the good dinner. But at other times, he's gone on and said, well, you're a good cook. And now it's not just thankfulness for that delicious meal. It's also you are special. You are the one that provided that delicious meal. And as, as we were thinking through the psalm that we praise God and we sing songs and we sing a new song, and we bless his name, that we not only are thankful for the things that he does, but we praise him for who he is. Not only for the object that he gives us, but for the fact that he is the giver of the object. 
And so both thanksgiving and praise are in this psalm. And we are reminded that we should move just from thanking God about for objects and good things that he's given to thanking him for being the giver of those things. I want to end with these ideas that the psalm and this verse from Ephesians tell us that we should live a life of thankfulness, of praising God, of singing to him, ascribing to him the worth that he's due. We're reminded that we're not only supposed to do that as a church body and as believers, but part of our job, part of our, what we are due to God, what we owe him, is to declare his splendor and his glory to the nations that don't know him yet. And when God brings people here, he makes our job that much easier. We send missionaries out all over the world, short-term, long-term, and yet God has seen that in these last years, he is making our country, America, a place where people from all over the world are coming to. And as Christ Central gets ready to make this move to an area where I understand is even more diverse, uh, God is opening the doors so that we can declare God's glory among the nations and do that. God has to prepare us for that, and we're hoping that God will use Christ Central in an even greater way to declare his glory among even more diverse people and reach out to the people that don't know him yet, to show them that there is a judgment coming, a judgment that can be a merciful judgment or a terrible, awesome judgment. And we pray that God will continue to use the leaders here and each one of the persons here to, uh, to bring glory to himself and to keep building up his church, to keep uh, reaching out to the people that don't know him yet. And we think that uh, he will continue to do that through all the work that has gone on here. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I think God will put us together in such a way so that we can accomplish that to his glory and to our good.